1: Of course I'll say that. Happy. Hold on, adult man has wrist injury. Fuck off, don't help me with riding a bike. Hello and welcome to what I'm told is the seventh instalment of our nerdy chat, which we still call Collecting Addicts. With me, Edward Lovett, Neil Clifford, Manish Pandy and Chris Cooper. Uh, let's cut straight to the, the chase here. Neil Clifford has a problem with Japanese cars. He says, I quote, I can't love them. Well, I I don't know what to say, Neil. Other than to give you the floor and tell us why you can't love Japanese
3: cars. Well, I've been deeply thinking about this, and you know what? It's my biggest automotive disappointment. I've tried so hard. You know, I've been reading these magazines from the eighties. I've been um, following religiously people's advice. I've bought the R thirty two obviously I shouldn't sold because they're now like a million pounds. An R34, which I hated. An R35. I even bought the MX-5 Le Mans edition, you know, with the with the crazy paint and the turbocharger. I've had the Evo 6, which I also hated, that Mitsubishi thing. The S2000 because of the gearbox. I even my second car was my mum's 120Y Datsun before Nissan. So I've, I buy them, and then I look at them, and then I get in a Porsche. And my, my conclusion, well, I think, I think the Japanese know this. I've, I've put a lot of thought to this, obviously, because it was the kickoff subject. I think the Japanese know that they're um, unemotive. And that's my conclusion, really. That's why they do Le Mans. It's why they do rallying. They've been told by McKinsey that they've got to put some passion into their brand. Um, I didn't do a maths O-level, but you know what? I think my conclusion is- What's
4: that got to do with love?
3: um, Just let let me finish, um, Chris. I think it's all about the 100% thing. It's really annoying, even in my job, that things have to add up to 100%. And think about this pie chart. There's this pie chart that exists, which is mechanical excellence and engineering brilliance, and then there's emotion, and then there's passion, and basically, the Japanese have 100% of one and zero of another. It's like a pH scale. I can't remember the colours. <laughs> Manish will be able to remember the colours. But Japanese is red, pH 1. And British cars, Bristol, are purple, a pH 14. And, some, <laughs> and somewhere in the middle, there is... The best cars, which is Ferrari and Porsche, because they manage to have both. They've got automotive engineering excellence, and then they've got emotion and passion. And the frankly, a Japanese car is like having an inflatable friend.
2: I was about to say you need a you need a good wankle in your life. You know, <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's why
3: the Swiss don't do fashion.
2: Right. <laughs> I mean, how many
4: how many constituencies and parts of the world have we offended,
3: there, Neil? Well, look, I've, <laughs> I've, I've, I've you, you know, know I'm, I'm a man, I'm, I'm a global, I'm a global citizen, and I experience all these things, and it's why electric cars are doomed because there's no emotion. Discussed. Okay, I, I'm gonna because I, I, I'm self-appointed
1: gobshite on this group of people. I'm going to attempt to answer that because there's a bit of it that I agree with, but what I think what I think is missing and my interpretation of it is different is because I think sometimes objects, be they, they could be art, they could be food, they could be literature, sometimes require us to scrape a little bit below the surface to discover what might be underneath. And if they aren't just peacocks that immediately gratify and throw their, throw their emotion at us in quite a basic way, um, there may be some people don't look hard enough. And some of the examples you've given there are are right, at at face value compared to their rival vehicles from particularly European and American countries can look at times a little bit um, stolid, a-emotional and, dare we say, boring. But my experience is that the more I've spent time with them, they reveal a depth of character that can be really surprising. And furthermore, I think the more you get into your driving, the quirks, the engineering quirks that these Japanese car companies have given us, I find endlessly fascinating. Because to me, as a geek, the first time you experience the VTEC step, that's as profound as it's seeing fantastic. as seeing a, a boat-tailed Alba Spider uh, in on the Amalfi Coast for me, because it affects me in the, in the in the same way. The first time that you see the high cast light flicker on an R thirty two Skyline is a is a moment for me. So I, I get the fact they don't, they don't lob themselves at you. What they are is they're that quiet girl or boy in the corner of the party. That's not doing much until about one in the morning when everyone starts passing the good stuff around. And then they go freaking loopy on the, whatever you've been drinking after one in the morning and they're going hammer and tongs at seven in the morning and all your BMWs and Ferraris have gone to bed. I just, I think there's and, and when they do do abject personality, they're nuts. Edwards dropped the W word. The rotary engines, some of their engineering solutions are so unnecessarily complicated. Yeah. I just, I can't believe what they do. And then there's Honda, and then Whoa. there's Senna. There's a lot, there's a lot to it. I don't think I've persuaded you, Neil, but I still think that, I still think there is real personality bursting from these cars, but it just, they just don't know how to sell it they're very poor at marketing their passion well,
0: does, do do does the any.
2: japanese does the japanese version of neil clifford who you probably know neil somehow in your in your world of fashion
3: nato san the guy yeah, to,
2: yeah. Uh, okay do, does he have
3: no does he have
2: the same view of japanese <laughs> cars or is it is, is is what what's his he drives- Last a three, car three, in his garage.
3: They've got a three five six. You follow them on Instagram, NATO.
2: Yeah. Um, they've got a two fifty LM. Yeah, they've got amazing cars. They've got
3: a nine eleven R original, not the sort of Chavy Chavy new one. They've got a three. They've got a nine eleven. Uh... Cut to the chase. Is there a Japanese car in there? No, there isn't because it's fucking washing machine.
0: Chris, aren't, aren't you and Neil just slightly talking at odds because <clears throat> the premise was. Neil can't fall in love with this car and you're telling me that you're going to fall in love with a wallflower that comes to light at one in the morning because I, I think what he said he's not arguing with anything that you've said they're a bit repressed no he's I see I do love them day. I do fall in love with them I I, I, yeah. I had an Evo
1: 6 for ages and I just I really did love it And and there are some strange cars they've made there was a there was a but I don't I don't love them because they're obviously lovable. I find stuff they grow I they grow on me ah. mm. and, and I can't I, yeah. I can't but get this away.
0: is this is this is proper Indian arranged marriage love, isn't it? That's what you're describing. <laughs> yeah. Right. There is just no chemistry at all. Apparently, but yeah. your parents have made this high level decision based on, you know, committees of whatever. And, you know, 25 years into your marriage, you go, I can't live without this person. This is the best it could be. And also, don't forget, I was I, I was at the back end of that generation. You just have to write
1: these big group tests for the car yes. magazines, and right. they wrote themselves. You felt this massive pressure. The Italian being the corner, as hey, and so flamboyant, and then you'd have the German that would smash 0 to sixty faster than everyone else, and then the Japanese one. would be there going, "I just know I wouldn't put my money into that because it because it's because I don't like the badge." And it, uh, you know, they wrote themselves those group tests, and I feel slightly ashamed that I bought into the stereotypes. So I, I can understand why they're not obviously things that you fall in love with, but maybe, maybe as someone who himself fits that category, I quite like engaging with the well, challenge. And, Chris, and you-
4: it's taken us seven weeks to get to this point, and I'm sure this is the producer's wonderful joke. They wanted to see five middle-aged men discussing what is love,
2: <laughs> and Chris. we're here. Chris, you you shared a video this week in our group chat of uh, driving the M3 on a rally stage, probably in Wales somewhere. If you were to oh, oh, sorry, an, an escort, apologies. Would you have a Japanese derived rally car?
1: It's a, it's a terrible, terrible question. I'd have an AE86. It's the same thing. They, they they, basically copied the BDA and stuck it in a Toyota Corolla. It's one of the great... It's called the Heikiroku. It's one of the great Japanese cars. So, yes, I would. And I, But I think... I I, I get the point. But, I, but if it's Room 101, quite often with Neil, I go, that's going straight in the bin. You're right, Neil. On this one, I'm sorry, it's not going... It can't go in the bin. No.
0: Neil, Neil, Neil. Good yeah. straight question, though. Datsun 240Z. Could you fall in love with that? Just looking <clears throat> at I've, it. I've tried to
3: fall. It's not as if I'm I'm anti-Japanese cars. I've bought a load of them. I like any old shit basically with four wheels. But I think that there's a difference between owning and then getting in it on a Sunday morning. You're always going to choose the 911. Yeah. I think you, and it's 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 now worse for the Japanese cars because in the 80s and 90s it was the only car where. Wasn't going to break down. The air conditioning was going to be working. Now, you know, Ferrari are reliable. Porsche are reliable. You haven't got to have like a PhD in science to figure out how to demiss the screen, like in a 3.2 Carrera.
0: So it's <laughs> ma- it's
3: made more difficult for the Japanese to have a point of difference. But when Subaru made the
1: XT, which was that wedge shape thing. When you engaged the four-wheel drive system, the windscreen wipers came on because it assumed it was slippery. How can you not love
3: <laughs> oh, that? See,
4: I, think- I, I think we're not going to persuade you. And I, you know, you, you, I really like your opening speech. I mean, it was, I, I completely
3: guess it, but, you know, without getting into what is love. Think about the pie chart, you know, Bristol which, you know, you are guaranteed uh, to fucking break down if you own a Bristol. Yeah, but
4: I think we learned a, yeah. a lot more about you,
3: Neil, than about loving Japanese
4: cars. Oh, maybe. <laughs> um, but, you know, I've loved a Japanese car. I, I've talked about this before, my Mark 1 Toyota MR2. I love that. I nearly bought, it as my first company car, and I nearly, nearly... What pronouns it. did you use with that? Um, I didn't use pronouns. I loved it. I didn't... Oh, uh, don't call cars; they're not gender-specific cars. Uh, but I can you can love them, and I love my Mark One, MR2, and I loved the CRX, the 100, the, the Gen Two CRX. Oh, great really car! That's the VTEC. a cute car. Then. VTEC. Yeah. You know, there was a Honda Accord, mm. that Integra thing, all those sort of the nineties mm. and
1: early two thousands. But given this is given this is basically group therapy, can we agree as a group that we're going to work on Neil? We're going to help him we can. with his problem, and we're yeah. going to find him something Japanese
3: to love look i've just bought i've just bought a linchfield impreza i can't help myself right it's not as if i'm uh, cured (laughs) now moving on very quickly because this is a subject we're going to come back
1: to many many times what is the most disappointing car you've owned chris cooper so um
4: I technically didn't own it, but I sort of did. So we talked about electric vehicles. So when I had my electric vehicle, for a while, it wasn't working terribly well. So the dealer for about three months, three or four months, lent me a McCann, Porsche McCann. Um, That was by far and easily the most disappointing car I'd ever had. It (laughs) didn't do anything well. Its steering felt a bit rubbery and elastic. It felt heavy. The engine was synthetic. It was just, you know, these are first world problems, absolutely first world problems, but lots of people have McCanns and the to them. I was shocked how disappointed I was by it. Um it was, I had nothing nice to say about it. I tried I a questions. The turbo or not, I was really shocked how disappointing it was. On a
1: gig point, the um the current McCann is based on the previous aq uh, Q5, isn't it? It's the old yeah, one. It
4: felt like um um an an average. Other manufacturers middle market thing it was really really disappointing i know
1: i've I've just received a small electric shock because i did not think we're allowed to use the word platform on this podcast are we sorry i i I get with it get with it it's lingo they've all got it but yeah Uh, we can i'm sorry okay. okay manish you
0: um a little like chris i didn't actually own this but my friend dan his father made a load of money in the mid 80s and he bought himself a beautiful BMW 635 CSI, which was impeccable and stunning, and we loved it. But he bought his wife an MG Metro Turbo. And never yeah. have we seen yeah. a mismatch between big words that say turbo on the side of a car and a yeah, crazy that. sub 100 horsepower piece of dung. Yeah, that and would be. The other thing is that he, you know, they they sort of advertise it. The kind of you know zippy, you get into this thing, and you know Nigel Mansell would drive it, sort of thing. And it spent all of its time. Um, the mechanics just spent all of their time telling his mother, you know, you, you just, they're not built for urban roads. It spent all of its time in the garage because the bloody turbo kept poking up. I mean, it was just dreadful car. Dreadful interior. Looked everything was wrong about this car.
3: Neil, Neil, I presume you've got one of those. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> right, go on then, Neil. Right, with this, this, I, I think I might be agreeing with uh, uh, Chris on this. By far the most disappointing carbone is an E30 M3. Oh, I almost wrote that. Well,
1: you've done me. You've you have got mine written
3: down there. You know what? It's. All of that journalistic love of the balance of the chassis and the incredible steering and the sort of DTM heritage and the wider arches and all that. And I've owned three of the bloody things, including two e- sport Evos. The engine is shit. <laughs> it's, it's gutless. Yeah. You're much better buying a 325i. You're quite that is a much better car than that uh, e30 m3 now you can go on to e36 and m3s on from that i think are fabulous but that car you know i bought one for 12 grand at george wise motors or whatever i, I traded it in within six months for an integrale which actually is another one on my list that i was not particularly excited about either i don't love four-cylinder cars you know i think why um, have a four-cylinder car a four-cylinder car was when you pass your test it's much better to have five cylinders or six cylinders or eight cylinders or Apart ten.
1: Apart from if it's Japanese, look what the Japanese yeah. do with four-cylinder engines. No oh, racing engine. Special.
4: I didn't know how obsessed you are with spreadsheets. You know, this has been really.
3: We should share. Uh, these you know, down. I'm. 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 Uh, yeah, I was just discussing it earlier at work about my love of Excel.
1: I think. Uh, I think I'm with you on the. I've got. I've got two written down here. One was an M3 Sport Evo. Mm. I had at the same time. I had. I, well, I had the two M3s in my ownership that were considered to be the very finest of the breed and the very worst. So I had a fairly good condition, black E30 M3 Sportivo. Um, and I had a very ratty Avis Blue 3-litre pre-twin Vanos E36, with not the rat, which everyone hated. And I tell you, it just made me realise that some of my predecessors might not have been at the top of their game. Yeah. Because the E30 and a 320d driven well would leave you for dead you wouldn't see where it had gone and you could be you'd be sitting there wanking your own soup of talking about steering feel, but it meant absolutely bugger all as you watched the 320t disappear into the distance and the e36 was a hoot steered awfully but it had a rampant engine with loads of torque would do 150 all day long and i I didn't give a shit they didn't have much steering feel because the rest of the car was magic exactly yeah Totally agree with Neil Clever. The other one I had written down, which is, I think was the biggest disappointment, was a bigger disappointment for me, was I, I had a 205 XS in my first ever slightly fast car when I was, it was Group 8 insurance so I could get it insured. I was probably 20 or something, 19, 20 years old and, um, and I, I saw a new 106 XSI for sale, Ooh. done a few miles and I thought that's the car I want. I'm going to go from an XS to an XSI. I went from They're both TU engine, that aluminium engine from from Peugeot, uh, Citroën as it was. I went from 85 horsepower to 100 horsepower, fuel injected, utter shitbox. It was flat. It was dead. I remember that awful moment. I swapped the cars over. When you leave a car you think is amazing on a four-court, you drive away, and within seconds you go, what have I done here? And I drove back to say, can I swap it back? And the bloke went, no, mate. I've been trying to get rid of that for weeks. No. Fuck, no. Shambolic. But I'll I, go with you on that, on on the on the E30. Can I just say something in the e 30s defense? I
4: mean, again, this is a bit niche. And Chris, you and I have driven the same car I'm thinking of. Because a friend of ours had the, the DTM E30 M3, the, the one that first won a DTM championship in 87, the Eric van der Poel car. And you and I have both driven it. And I drove it. I was amazingly fortunate to drive it in a race at the Nürburgring years and years ago nobody could have described that car as dull or boring it had
1: uh, but this is the thing about these these I, these details I, I it's not
4: but it's it's amazing how different you'd think the road car version of that should be quite special and it wasn't no but if
1: you put if you put those if you put a grenade engine in a, in the car like my, my rally car which is up on the left just down the road here has got you know 2.3 litres of 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 probably 290, 300 horsepower. Yeah, it's at 330 horsepower. And, and they just, it's a, it's a different animal then, because then yeah. the chassis comes alive. The problem is it's got so much grip that the, the E30 it doesn't really move around. Yeah. And I just You're right, a 325i Sport, much more fun.
3: Oh, that's a wonderful engine, the 325. One of the best engines. At, yeah, Frankly, there aren't many good four-cylinder engines.
1: Ford that's, BDA, Ford Honda example. VTX.
3: Yeah. BDA,
1: BDG. Don't start with your BDs. Edward, love it. What's the most disappointing car that you didn't have to buy and that you crashed?
2: No, I was about to say, this is a terrible question to ask a car dealer. I'm, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure if the the, the worst ones are the ones I made the biggest losses on. But uh, <laughs> uh, an Alpina B5 must be up there, Chris. <laughs> uh,
1: Edward traded an Alpina B5 in, in probably 2004. I think it was there for a year.
2: It was it was a, it was, a uh, it was the first supercharged B5 and I remember going to pick it up and I pressed the throttle and fuck me, this thing was quick. And I <laughs> I blew the supercharger. <laughs> and then I, so I think we had to wait about six months for parts and then and then no one wanted it. So uh, I'm not sure if I managed to get out of that without making a loss. Um <laughs> But there's two cars I've written down here. And and bear in mind, these are car dealer purchases. So I've I bought them thinking, looking forward to having a drive in this. One of them's an Audi RS2 event. Mm, not um, good. No, you know, and and you know, they look cool. And the Porsche connection makes you think I've got to have one of those. And this was the perfect car, UK supplied, green. But yeah heavy mm-hmm. understeery it just, it just yeah just re- really really disappointing and then the other car I bought which was very cheap at the time not not at the same value as it was today is a, a Ferrari 250 PF Coupe um, which I think at the time it was it was it's still plenty of money but it, I think I bought it for a hundred and twenty thousand pounds or something like that but I didn't fit in it uh, v12 engine but with it, you know couldn't pull the skin off a rice pudding uh you couldn't get your uh hands when you were s- steering it would keep hitting your knees and it i just i didn't fit in the car it was just so underwhelming and and how those got to five or six hundred thousand pounds just blows my mind
1: um do, we will revisit this because i reckon this has just triggered me i've got another 10 i suddenly want to talk oh, about I've, i can see yeah. that in all of your eyes but we'll yeah. We will save this
2: goodness. The journey to disappointments a good one though. I mean, is, you've yeah. got it. Also, that uh, word,
1: uh, that word, underwhelming that you just used is one of those. That's a that's an awful word for a car enthusiast because yeah. we we demand so much from our time in the cars that it's not acceptable to be underwhelmed. Yeah, I've got a list and all to go through. Meeting.
2: I think Neil said this last week or the week before, but you know, pretty much, I'm, I'm probably the same as Neil. And you know, I've, I've decided in my head I'm going to buy something. I never drive it, and I mm-hmm. think the best way to find out if I like this or not is owning one uh and whether you take a loss or a profit afterwards you've got to go through that journey of finding it buying the perfect one that you think is going to be wonderful and then the underwhelmingness sets in and and then the journey to selling it
1: yeah Yeah, collecting cars can help with both parts of that process by the way
2: (laughs) yes it can Just (laughs) click on the link and uh, you'll
1: find out next week maybe about my integrally buying experience on collecting cars because I'm only about 10 grand into making her work and on Friday, I'm removing the head. That's not what you do on a healthy car. (laughs) Next step, Um, uh, Manish. Dr Manish, could you please talk us through Lance Stroll's, sorry, Lawrence Stroll's wrist injury?
0: Um, it is Lance's, I think it's Lance's, um, so apparently he fell off a bike, apparently in Spain, apparently not last Sunday, but the Sunday before. And what we know is he definitely didn't take part in testing a week later. And, um, your wrist is a beautiful, complicated, wonderful thing. And the man who taught me everything about wrists was, um, a wonderful surgeon called Mr. William Bodie who is now retired. But basically, you've got two long bones, radius and ulna. You've got two rows of little wrist bones, and then you have these carpal bones. And so normally falling off a bike or something like that would give you a fracture through the very ends of the long bones. And much more uncommonly, you can crack one of the little bones. But if I had to bet money, and this is based purely on the fact that He's mistesting, he's gone to see a particular upper limb specialist in in Spain, in Barcelona, and because there was a photo of him, and if you look very carefully at the photo, it's very subtle, his right sleeve is pulled right up to the knuckles, so just below the knuckles. Mm. So I think they're hiding a wrist splint. And if they're hiding a wrist splint, the, the other little subtle thing is the thumb in that photo is bent like this, not stuck out like this. If the thumb, thumb was stuck out like that, it would almost certainly be a scaphoid injury, because you have a little extension that you put on. So if I had to guess what's happened is he's got either a, an undisplaced fracture of his radius, so he's cracked it, maybe not all the way through. It's not sticking out. It's not secure. It's not bent, and um, if basically you, you break them two ways. If you break them that way, you put them in plaster. If you break them that way, you put pins and plates in because they're unstable that way. Or he's whacked off this little bit here called the ulna styloid, but it's very subtle. I mean, the final thing, it could be a bunch of ligament injuries, but if I had to bet, I think he's got a very small undisplaced fracture, and he's gone to see this man because they want to see whether it's worth putting... A pin or a screw in to get him back faster. But I
1: lost the audio at the beginning of that, Manish. Sorry. Did you say that this happened while he was masturbating? Because <laughs> I, I didn't hear what you thought. It was
0: allegedly a cycling. I've enjoyed doing this. Oh, cycling. Sorry, a cycling Sorry. accident. <laughs> right, a cycling right. accident. Well, look. Well, nice the the, the, the we, bottom we, line is, I just don't think we're going to see him back. If if there's a fracture, six weeks
2: that okay, photograph so the, also might have just been very bad tommy hill figure tailoring as well you know you might you might be looking into yeah. this a bit too much
1: but well, the Joe fact was he wasn't doing? testing the fact he wasn't testing is significant isn't it and, and also i think we now realize with how compacted the formula 1 season is and how little testing they get that's a real real ba- on the back yeah. foot move, isn't it you're you're struggling if you don't get to do that first test your teammate is ahead of you from the start, and if your teammate's already Alonso, this is just what we want. Camp Aston Martin when when Lance comes back is going to be fantastic. Dad, I want a faster car than him. Little Spanish guy goes, "He's not happening," and then it's going to be it's going to be firework. But
3: isn't isn't this good for Aston Martin? Isn't isn't getting a better driver into that seat than 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 him? Isn't that a positive? Isn't, isn't the fact that maybe his dad pushed him off his? <laughs>
4: It's really he... interesting. You just think. I mean, he's not awful. I mean, he he's doing better than we would do. Pains me to no, say. but he's
1: he's not awful. But the company, how are you? He Dude, he's a long him? way from awful. He's he is naffing quick yeah, on the right but... day in the right car. When they had that, when they had copied the 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 Mercedes, when they had that Mercedes painted pink, yeah, that che- Checo won in, he was. Nothing quick. You don't, you don't You don't get those good. results unless you're very quick in the no, car. it was good. Uh, and actually, at this point, I want to say, um,
4: some of you might have seen it, uh, Andrew Green, who was, I think, until literally a month ago, he was the technical director at Aston Martin and BWT and Jordan before that. I was in the same mechanical engineering class as him when he started doing it. I lasted one term. I wanted to be Andrew Green, but I realised after trying to help him with the colouring in bits of his stuff, it was beyond me. Um, so anyway, so thank you, Andrew Green. And he's done a brilliant job with that. 23- and it- Alonso
2: did a pretty good job in testing as well.
1: He did do a good job. I
4: mean,
1: he was third on, on long runs. Third anyone, Alonso's talent's never been in doubt, but the results were were interesting, weren't they? Let's have a, look, so we'll have a little think about the relative pace. We know that Red Bull and Max are out, are out in front. Uh, we, we think Ferrari are in a comfortable second place, but third place in terms of long run pace looks to be uh, up for debate between Mercedes yeah. and, and someone they're uh, selling engines to. Um, so so it's, it's, it's very, very interesting. And, and it, it, it's always great to have a cat in amongst those pigeons at the top, isn't it? It makes for good weekend racing. Yeah, it'd be, it's really, you'd have kind of
4: hoped that, I mean, I know Mercedes stuck with their concept because I thought, do we take two steps back? I mean, none of us are engineers, although I became small, a small bit of, I like, helped Andy Green is coming in 20 or 30 odd years ago. Um, none of us are, so we don't really know. But it did seem interesting that they'd had a big, do we, don't we? Do we carry on with the same concept? Or do we try and make something different work? Um, and I was a bit disappointed. I just thought that machine, that Toto-led machine and all those people, you just think, it just shows how hard it is because they're clearly brilliant. And it just shows how hard it is. The one I'm most disappointed, I feel for, and I feel, feel for Lando, we've talked about this amongst ourselves, uh, is McLaren. Yeah. Because I watched Drive to Survive when it came out last week. I, I still quite like Drive to Survive. A lot of it you can take, well, maybe next week we'll talk about that scene with all the team managers saying, You should change your fucking God, no, you should change that your. So I went back to watch the first series over the weekend. And there's a lot of it in there. When Zach had been there not very long saying, Well, the buck stops with me, you think, well, that was five years ago. And the buck still st- They had that sort of very short-term bit where they got to third in 20 20- in 20. And they had that. Purple bit in 21, which then rapidly fell off before in 21. Ferrari overwhelmed them. They would think that Ferrari and McLaren, two years ago, less than two years ago, were fighting for a third in the championship. I worry about McLaren and poor Orlando having signed that big deal.
3: He must be really fed up. I mean, Uh, did they have they ever done any good since Ron Dennis left?
0: They didn't do terribly mm. well in the last couple of years of Ron Dennis either, though, did they? I think that no. the problem with that, that that for me, that team um, started adrift um terribly badly when, when Lewis left. If you just yeah. have a look, yeah. you know, you just you, there, there's a very, very simple line there. And um I I'm I'm with Chris. I think rather looking at the top of the sheets, which has a kind of predictability. I mean, the bottom line is even if the Aston is quicker right now. There is no way it's going to win a development war against Mercedes. I just don't believe that. So that's yeah. that. But but the bottom end, if you are a McLaren fan and I'm a massive mm. McLaren yeah. fan, uh, I you know, and I know those guys and um I can just imagine how they felt when they looked at that. I mean it was just slow, wasn't it? My my gut feeling though is I think um whatever direction they've taken they're another very, very good team, you know, just a very good team. They're brilliant at strategy, they're brilliant at race weekends, and hopefully they will develop that car out of that position. But, I mean, it's going to be awful seeing McLaren fighting William Stroke. I mean, what else would you behass, I guess, wouldn't you, as the bottom third? That's a really sad story, isn't it?
1: Yeah,
4: they will be on four years. They've gone from the third to fourth to fifth last year.
1: Six looks like it's a stretch this year. And, 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 and where do we stand on the Piastri thing? Because we haven't discussed that. Do do we think that there was some very sharp practice that doesn't respect, reflect well on him, him with, with what happened with Renault? Or do we think it was just an absolutely fair income contractual situation that that some clever management um, used to their advantage?
4: Well, I, I, probably he's he just wanted to, the best car to be in that he thought. And under the heading of contract shenanigans i mean none all of this pales into insignificance compared to schumacher and spa in 92 and mm. eddie eddie having one put over him by tom walkinshaw and flavio um
0: and Bernie, i think you'll find and, um,
4: <laughs> <laughs> well will you tell us man <laughs> you tell us
0: no, yeah, but, was, but EJ's great. still got that watch. He's still got that watch. Well, absolutely. No, no. Somebody brilliantly, this was, um, this, was, this was 1991, straight after Spa. And suddenly at the next Grand Prix, Schumacher goes from being a Jordan driver to becoming a Benetton driver. And and Bernie just tells the story very well. He just said um, he, he had got a call from Luciano Benetton saying, my team's going down the tube. So the first thing he said was, right, get Flavio Briatore to manage it. He really liked Blav. The next thing they do is they get a damn decent driver in Schumacher. And he, he says Schumacher was up all night with him at the hotel and Schumacher kept coming into the room. And eventually Bernie said, go to bed. And tomorrow morning when you wake up, you'll yeah. be a Benetton driver. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's
3: it. But I don't know
0: if you've seen, there is a contract. It's a, Somebody put it on the Internet. It's kind of handwritten. And they just crossed out things. <laughs> <laughs> just literally just crossed the map, sign this. And you can imagine Eddie, you know, Bernie putting his arm around Eddie and saying, you know, sometimes you got to lose a round. But what there, the there's surely a,
1: an element of Schadenfreude here in that Piastri could well be in a vehicle that's going to be comprehensively outpaced by the Renault. And I I I don't know the ins and outs of that deal, but it didn't look nice to me. It didn't, it it felt there was it felt that they had adhered to the to the letter of the contract and maybe had been a bit sharp. And if they end up in a slower car, I mean... I think
0: think what Ottmar was upset about is just supporting a junior driver, taking someone when they're a junior driver through the junior formulae. And yes, okay, you can turn around and say that they were, um, you know, a little presumptuous, but I guess they had a right to be after quite a long time. And I think that's what sticks in all of our crawls. It's not really a Schumacher situation. He, You know, he was paid, Mercedes paid, for him to turn up at Spa and help Eddie out but this is a situation where a young man was part of the Renault stroke Alpine setup for a while and uh, yes I agree with you there's an element of Chardon there must be if the Alpine turns out to be a cracking car this year I can imagine Otmar having a little Might bit be. yeah I
3: mean, we, we all have to just care and wish luck to Lewis <laughs> <laughs> You know, Lewis needs to win eight, and then everything else is irrelevant in my opinion. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, at least you're consistent, Neil. And I, do you know what? Yeah. I agree, but I've got a funny feeling that if Lewis is going to win eight, it's going to happen in the second half of the season. It's not going yeah. to happen in the first half of the season. Right, moving on. We'll come back to that. Um, there's going to be F1 chat every single week. Sorry about that in advance. Um, how about this one, then? We're really going to cram a few in here. Best driving positions. Best driver positions. I, I think you can have one or two, but we can't go too far into it. Because, again, we're going to come back to this. This is going to be a recurring theme.
2: I think Ed you need to lead it. this one, Chris.
1: No, Ed would love it first.
2: Well, it's got to be a 9-11, hasn't it? Is there, is there, does <laughs> nice. everything come back to 9-11? Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. It does. It does. It does. Oh, I, well, it's got to be a 9-11. It's got to be some sort of bucket seat. I don't. I don't think we can. Ha- you can have the best driving position in a comfort seat. And nine nine one basically GT three right. touring. Yes. Yeah. No. In a C-tour, carbon right. bucket seat. Seats too That's exactly. You think, oh well, I like it. It's it. it, it sort of it suits me. Exactly. Uh, well, the same. I've,
1: I've written, that's got a massive tick next to it. Ed. Would you get nine out of ten for that? Well
2: done. Thanks, boss.
1: Chris Cooper. Not a 911 bucket seat. It's too upright.
4: You need to have them sort of count back. I think it's K from seven um, oh. because what makes a good driving position? To me, you want to be as flat as possible, legs out front, so you're not feeling you having to lift your legs to get to the pedals. The steering wheel's got to be right here. For me, I know, Chris, that you are the same. Don't, don't tell you not. We want the steering wheel right here. It's not like that. It's like oh. that. You know, the, the movies, when the, no, that's not how you drive. The string was here. It's nicely at this position here. Your feet are out front. You're supported on your legs for any kind of reasonable money. K from seven.
2: Well, that's it's that's that's a that's a racing driver's answer, which is very which is very unfair. When, when Wait, I was to- it's a road car. You could get on with a.
4: Yeah, long before I was a racing driver, I thought it made me feel like I was a racing driver, and that's a big part of it. Now I think K from seven, the 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 bucket seats on 911s. I think we've all been conditioned to say. Oh, it's like a racing driver's seat. It's a bucket seat. They're too upright. You have to sort of scooch down in them, so you are sort of you're slouching an angle, and you've got no support. No, I think I think that's nice a bit use of the a... word scooch
1: as well. We like if that. you if you Don't get it all them.
2: wrong, if you get it all wrong in a Catrum on the road, what how, how do you feel your recovery is?
4: I, I, I well maybe you're describing your own driving talents, Edward, rather than ours.
2: Um, yeah, Um <laughs> I've never got it all wrong. Honestly. Well, I. I... <laughs> Well, that, that's fine. I, I get it wrong a lot, but I try quite hard to get there's it wrong. Not,
1: there's not a lot of there's not a lot of elbow room. If you want, that, that, that that and the defender don't offer you many options. Yeah, I get Yeah, the driving position
4: is not good.
2: But do you think, Chris, when, when you're trying to answer what the best driving position is, it, it can't just be about how you sit. It, it's about when, when you're when you're all over it. Can you have you got room to deal with the correction? Yeah.
1: Oh, I th- but it's more than that, isn't it? It's not just about. I think, as uh, hopefully one of the rest of us will get into this, it's not just about how you sit; it's how you feel;
3: it's what you oh, see yeah. out the bonnet.
1: You know, this is a multifaceted question, Neil Clifford.
3: I'm, on the basis, I'm a shit driver. It's totally how I feel, as opposed to what I do. Yeah. Okay. Um, exactly the same as Ed. Nine nine one. Nine eleven R. I'd be flashy when I get in that car. The fact that it's so low, that seat and you can, I'm quite tall, and you can pull it all the way back, and then you move forward. That little move forward when you're tall enough, you're like, oh, there's so much leg room. In this. And the sound, the sound, that running. the little yeah, amount, yeah and you flick it forward. Off. And then the steering wheel does, you know, I've been taught, bring it forward to you. And then the leather, the quality of that leather on that steering wheel, and the R with those lovely old school dash dials, and then none of that haptic shit yeah. in all that new Ferrari thing, which is like Russell Hobbs' fucking toaster. You've got proper buttons and proper yeah. switches. And the noise is amazing. And you're nice and low and the leather's nice and soft. It's unbeatable, the 991 driving position. Manage.
0: So I'm going Grand Touring here because I knew you guys would all race. And this is based on experience. I had to drive from los angeles to las vegas i can't remember which year it was mid late 80s and it was a mercedes 560
3: sec you're gonna drive
0: in america on mostly straight roads for four hours and they kind of go up and they kind of go down you don't go too much the driving position is unbelievable you can see absolutely everything the seats so hard to comfortable so your bum doesn't fall asleep i didn't even stop I didn't even stop the car, the air conditioning is amazing, you see all the dials, Mm. it was just the most perfect position and it had a fantastically adjustable steering wheel, the seat, I mean you just, you got totally comfortable in that car, the position was perfect, every trucker was jealous on my way, it was perfect, 560 SC. I
3: mean it could be peak dashboard, that car.
0: Oh absolutely. You need to get into that for sure. Right. Right. So. that,
1: I'd have to say, team, you've excelled yourself, so I don't know how I follow that. However, I have got one that in my early testing years, because I'm an odd shape, I'm a very, very short man with very, very short legs, got quite long arms. Um, no, uh, Italian cars sort of work for me. Everyone would moan about Italian driving positions, and I'd be thinking, why do they write about this being wrong? It fits me, I've got well, tiny legs. You. It works for me. Um, but the first car that I drove that, that made me think, this, I can't complain about this driving position for anyone was the E39 M5. Because I can remember mm. getting it one. It had that heritage leather. And mm. I, it was an electric seat that I kept... I pushed the down button. It kept going down. It went yeah. really low. Yeah, The seat squished me in all the right places. I loved the clock faces. I then did that, dropped the old BMW lever down. The wheel came back to here, and I thought, even the wheel's in the right place. Yeah, And I just... I remember, spending, I remember driving one to Germany and back. And I, I had no... I didn't even know i have been driving it. No aches or pains. That must be a great driving position. Actually, I'm
4: going to revise my answer, because that E39 5 Series, because there aren't many cars, dear listener, that will fit both Monkey and I, and we've tried to fit in some cars over the years together. That car is one. Even for me, we're just the seat just goes down and down and
1: down. Uh, I think no, oh, we bring it up a bit.
4: I've never... But,
1: but, to, really. but to answer Edward's initial point is that I've never driven a road car that comes even close to making me feel as good as I do in a well-fitted racing car. When you've had someone fit a racing seat to your body, yeah. one of the great privileges, forget ever having a suit fitted. When you've had the foam done to get in a single seater, and now you're there just prodding it around for an afternoon, it is, it's an experience that you'll savor forever. Uh, and if you, if you haven't done it, please try it. Now, uh, moving on. This one is controversial, and I'm probably gonna get shouted at here. I think finally in this country, because of the way the road network's working, the motorway network with our smart motorways, whatever that means, um, undertaking should be made legal, question, because it's becoming ridiculous. It's becoming ridiculous. In America, you can undertake. They drive the same cars as us. They have the same mirrors as us, but you can stick in a lane and undertake. I'm talking about swerving around being a fool, but you can carry on your journey on one lane whilst another car's stuck in another lane. I think... We need to think about this being legal in the UK.
2: Well, in Europe, you don't need to undertake because they understand the etiquette of lane discipline. But in the UK, they simply don't.
1: anyone going to agree with me, or do you think you're going to get cancelled? No,
3: I, you know, I think I think you can't do it, Chris. I think it's too dangerous. I've been down a many a black hole on YouTube, and everyone crashes a Lamborghini Gallardo because of undertaking. It would be so fucking dangerous because it would yeah. take thirty years for people to respect the law. I think what we should have, so I have been thinking about this legally, you should have a paintball machine gun strapped to the front of your car that you could actually just blast someone out of the middle lane, not damage <laughs> their car, just not, not, you know them. not cause expenses for the other driver but cover the back of their car in red paint. <laughs> In order we all know to move them out of the way. <clears throat> we all know then.
4: Yeah. yeah, that would be fantastic, wouldn't it? Yeah, I'm for that. I, I, I I'm, near, I'm worth work with you. I, I, think it's kind of, you know, there are clearly you can undertake legally if you know motorway and risk, so so forth. But we know what you mean by undertaking. Because why won't this person get away? way I know I'm just going to give it some and we're we'll part. Uh, I think if that became the the general rule, I think it would be chaos. I do uh, think- yeah, to
1: be clear, I'm not talking about actually the the point squirt. I'm talking about the fact that at the moment, if you're in a if you're on a four lane variable speed limit motorway and a car decides to stay in lane four, yeah, technically you can be done for undertaking by by just driving within the speed limit down lane three. You can be that is still an offence. Yeah. Uh, e- even if it says stay in lane, it's, I, th- I think it's actually at the discretion of the of the officer that stops you.
3: And I'm saying, why can't you, why can't you do that? You can't. I think, I think be, the logic, Chris, is correct. I think it would be better. It's just no one would. Yeah, it would go wrong is
2: the issue, wouldn't it? It will why does go, wrong? go
1: wrong in America. I mean, this is, well, because, because, is they, they're because,
2: it, so because they're used to it, it because they've been they've they're accustomed to it. I think our lack of I mean, well, a.
0: They go first of all. They go at fifty-five miles an hour because they've done this. Some states seventy. Some states are seventy, but I I can tell you in California, fifty-five miles an hour, and they're all very, very close to each other. I mean, they are all literally. They drive like commuters. They don't drive to get anywhere quickly. Everybody wakes up going right. This is my two-hour journey, and that's what they do. And they sit in their lane and they just do this. I think driving here is very, very different, very different. And I'm, I'm, I'm definitely with Neil on this. You can just imagine people looking over one shoulder and having to be completely retrained to look over two. Yeah,
2: The fastest lane in California is the carpooling lane with one person in it. That's, uh... Exactly. <laughs> An
1: inflatable doll. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yes. Well, there we
1: go. I'll make more suggestions that my learning colleagues totally disagree with. Have week. you
2: had a bad journey this week, Chris?
1: Uh, I've had a couple of bad ones this week.
2: Were they on the motorway?
1: No, actually, they weren't too bad, although I had a, I had a sweet one this morning. I, I, went, I, I, I took the yellow car over to have some not gold wheels fit into it. And um, I came back in my 129 500 SL, which I haven't Ooh. driven for a few months. And I got in it and it's just that that pulse change. I've got out yeah. of my bright yellow, look at me wagon to, to this anonymous old smoker. And I just cruised back. It's lovely. I felt no frustration whatsoever. But there was a tit on the outside of the M5 going south near Gordino. And he was and he wouldn't get out the freaking way. And I just think to myself, what are you doing? And well, that's also, the that that's the problem because you're. The near. Is this psychologically. I think for everyone concerned, you're better off. If You're stuck behind someone that's going the wrong speed in the out in in lane three or four. You're not better off just dealing with it and just going up the inside and going past and sitting behind them, getting stressed, flashing, putting your in indicator on. All the stuff we see people do, just don't do it. Just go past them. It's yeah. much better on a human He's level. The is problem
2: tempting. is you were near Gordano. See, so if you were up near Gloucester, you could have gone into Gloucester services and had yourself a pork pie and relaxed.
1: I could have done, but it would have cost me 37 quid. Instead, I went into Gordano and told them that Neil Clifford loves his KFC. <laughs> right, now then. Uh, I think we need to do our, our two-car our two garage question, which this week was posed by Neil Clifford, but I'm going to read it out. The budget is £50,000. I know, a lot of money. This person, man or woman, has to buy two vintage cars for their early retirement for motoring enjoyment. One car has to come from the 1960s and one car from the 1980s. And they are all for pure two-seater driving pleasure. Okay? Um, This is also, these cars are in addition to a a family wagon or a, a practical, they already have. So these cars do not have to be practical. I am so pleased with my choices here. Go I'm going to start. Go on. Cuz I absolutely, I've smashed this out of the park. Watch this. Yeah, okay. First Whatever. car. 944 S2 cab. <laughs> what a great car. It's got a lowered, it's got a lowered Top of the windscreen line, so it actually looks like a speedster. And any other Porsche with a lowered windscreen line is a—you can't get one for less than three hundred grand. These twenty-five grand—they handle brilliantly. They look super cool. Twenty-five thousand pounds—I'm in. That's—and they still feel quite modern to drive as well. They handle really, yeah. really well. Good I've definitely. not gone for the turbo because it's a bit complicated. You don't need the extra performance. I think for my second car, and this has got more than two seats, but it is a convertible. I think I've got the speed thing licked there. I want some Americana. I want something. Mean, I want my elbow on a door, but I've got I've got 20 grand, 25 grand left if I'm lucky. But a little Dodge Dart from the 60s, convertible. Yeah. Throw the hood back with a small V8 in it. What a joyous oh thing to just roll around in. I, I, anyone that's spent a summer listening to the Burbla V8 with bits of vinyl and clips falling off it and everything else, but I think I have smashed it out of the park. I'm going to get myself a cup of tea because I've won this.
4: That's quite good. Yeah, I, I'm the only reason I didn't mention the nine four four convertible is I forgot about it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> or did you spend your money on a Daimler Dart? Because I know you're you've got a oh, you've got a penchant I, for a Daimler, I, Daimler I, Dart.
3: What a goppy,
2: ugly part. No, That, that looks
1: uh, that no. looks like the silver Hornet from Clouseau films. Oh, <laughs> like, I, so so I,
4: you're, you're going to laugh I, at this. you I, I, I 80s car. BMW Z1. Oh. I know, st- I know they're
3: awful. I know they're you awful. You keep breaking the budget. You spent about- all your money. You've got, You've got 10 on the other car. 25,
4: 35 grand. Collecting
3: cars. No,
4: they're not. They're 40. No, they're not. Not on collecting cars. <clears throat> what, what? Didn't Matthew give us one? What, what did we sell that one for?
2: I think that was 45 grand. Well, it's no. all right. He's, he, might, he, might, he might come up trumps with his five grand. I'll show 11. you. We
4: can put it on. The producers can put it on the screen. We'll find it. Oh, no. Put Mr
1: Cooper, I've got
3: your solution. Yours was
1: cat s.
3: Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it was was one and kilometers.
1: <laughs> it's my choice.
4: 60s car. Yeah. Frog eyed sprite with a swift tune engine.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's not yeah. bad. Yeah. Do you I fit in good. one of those? Yeah.
4: Easy. Yeah, good. I've got a yeah. Swift Tune Mini. I fit in that really, really easy. Swift Tune
1: engine now. takes up all of your budget. So
4: what are you what do you do with the rest of it? So no, that's it. I reckon you could get a frog eyed sprite with a swift tune engine if you did a deal with. What's
2: this, Mr. Swift? makes rates,
3: make rates. Uh, about fifteen k. Okay, that would be a great yeah. car. That would be a great car.
2: Yeah,
3: I like that. Uh, okay, Neil. Okay, Thinking Man's uh, two seven five Ferrari is an Alpha GT step front. Uh, yeah. My fifteen grand, my fifty grand is actually I'm spending in about two thousand fifteen. To be honest, but anyway, so a little, a little uh, Alpha GT. Aluminium, five speed, all-round disc brakes. Actually, for a four-cylinder engine, good noise, super lights. I've just spent a week driving one around Sicily in October. Sorry, how much are you spending on this car? Uh, I'll get let me look at my other car. Um (laughs) I would (laughs) be a week on this. I would get that for 35 grand. Yeah, yeah. I would get that for 35 grand in a lovely dark red with tan leather. And then I would buy a Golf GTI Campaign Mark 1 Ooh. in black with the stripy cloth and the golf ball gear knob.
1: Pirelli and, wheels? And the Pirelli wheels or not?
3: Pirellis, yeah. The Campaign only had the, the Pirellis. And the little windy sunroof. That would be 15 grand. Perfect. 80s, 60s, wrapped up. I'll tell you what, that's a lovely pairing. And you've spent
1: your 90,000 well. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Man- Manish. <laughs> I am going to buy a 1989 just sneak again in um, um, Chevrolet Corvette, the ZR1, and I'm going to spend 32,000 pounds on it. And it's, I think it's the same horsepower as a Countach, 375 horsepower. Had that amazing gearbox, six-speed gearbox, really really quick car. I've just been reading that, Manish. I've just been reading that. Before oh, I came on I- so oh. I haven't, and but I think one <laughs> little thing it had. It had a very special key. Do you remember it had this thing called the valet key? So if you put it in and you turned it, the, the whole idea was that you could lend it to your kids or get the thing part, because it switched 150 horsepower off. They it was call a, it the Edward key. Oh, uh, the, the Lovett key. <laughs> <laughs> so with my 18,000 remaining pounds, I'm going to buy a Mini Cooper, John Cooper conversion. Yeah. 18,000 pounds, British racing green. Two white stripes, black leather interior with white piping, walnut fascia, they are my cars.
1: Great. Okay, I can't fault those. That's a brilliant the ZR1.
3: Sorry, the Z R1 come out of nowhere. ZR1. Yeah. Isn't that, isn't that yeah. two eighties cars you just bought though?
0: No, no, the, the, the Kuba engine conversion, what was that? 69, I thought, wasn't oh, that? Uh, Easy. Later. Yeah. Uh, Neil, that's quite punchy coming from the man that spent 130,000
1: pounds <laughs> in <our 50>,
2: grand <laughs> yeah. Ed, Ed would love it. <laughs> uh, well, Neil's stolen his from me. So I think, and, and actually it's, it's funny when you uh, go and start, you start thinking 50 grand's not a lot of money, but actually uh, not a lot of money in some of the cars we talk about but you can buy an amazing array of cars. So uh, an alpha 1750 mm. um, pimped up by Alphaholics. And I'll, I'll, you know, as, as some of my shares come to, uh, uh, to, to value, I'll probably, you know, get some different wheels done and I'll, I'll keep spending money on it. So an alpha 1750, beautiful looking car. And if you see one of those Alphaholics cars sliding around, which Chris, you've done a cool video on one of those, they're just wicked things. Oh yeah. And then, I need to be able to get the roof off on something. So, uh, not the best engine, but I think I, I'd probably need a gold 280 SL in my life or something like that.
0: Yes. I like it. Yeah. Well, as much, in,
1: as in one from the
2: 80s. Yeah, That's an, an eight, 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 80s 280 SL. You're uh, talking
1: yeah. about a Bobby Ewing here?
0: Yeah. Yes. Love
2: Golf it. clubs in the back. That, well, that
1: is That really is, by far and away, our best effort. Everyone has knocked it out of the park there because normally there's a weak link. Normally it's me. But I think that's a great collection. So to end this week's adventure, we'll, con- we'll contribute one song to our uh, ever-growing playlist on Spotify, which is called... Edward, what's it called?
2: Uh, I think it's called uh, Collecting Addicts Driving Tunes. There you go. Ooh.
1: I'm going to start by suggesting that... Uh, to just support my learned colleague... Neil Clifford's um, emotional outpouring at the beginning of this—that I think I'm going to go for "What Is Love" by Hadaway.
3: <laughs> so I go next. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to be modern um, because otherwise we we don't want to be in this sort of stereotypical old fart, fifty-year-old people. Don't
2: talk about Manish's music choices like that, Neil.
3: Um, <laughs> so I'm going. I'm going London Grammar. Yeah. Oh and Californian soil. Stick that on, it's beautiful. Beautiful. Good shout, very good
1: tune, that uh, Chris Cooper?
4: So yesterday I spent the morning at Silverstone uh, volunteering to help with the Mission Motorsport Track Day, driving people around, which is great fun. Really, really uplifting every way. And I'm just on the read on the way home, um, Lovely Day by Bill Withers. And it just oh, made, made the day. So, lovely day, Bill Withers. Great tune.
1: Which advert was it? Was it a Ford advert, or was it? No, a it wasn't an advert? advert. It was just just there on the radio. No, no, back in the eighties, when it when it was used, was it Ford or was it Vauxhall?
3: God, this is a good call. We'll come back. I, to I think reason. it was, I think it was Ford. I mean, at some point, we need to talk about bloody Vauxhall. <laughs> we do, we do, we do, <laughs> we do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Manish,
0: Japan, Quiet Life. I'm sorry, old song, but that is Ooh. the song to hear when you get into a car.
1: David Sylvian.
2: 1080s track that, yeah, Absolutely. yeah. Um,
1: and EFL, what is it going well, to be? I uh,
2: I'm going to I'm going to follow your theme of love, Chris. And I'm I'm enjoying this because I don't normally listen to music. I listen to podcasts when I'm in the car, but I'm I'm getting back into music. And Neil's right to try and keep it a bit a bit young where possible. And we'll keep fettling the ch- uh, the list so we get the optimum driving list. But I've gone for kiss. I was made for loving you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay,
1: Um, we'll end it this week there. Thank you very much to Chris Cooper, Manish Bandy, Neil Clifford and Edward Lovett. Tune in next week for what I hope will be episode eight of the Collecting Addicts podcast.
2: See you later.